Why? Indigenous Words and Ideas with Arcia Tecun. Thanks, Tino and Inoke, for uh, joining today. And uh, we wanted to talk about Latin America and Oceania. So maybe let's start off with just introduce yourselves and then we'll get into those terms. Odalava. My name is uh, Inoke Afoka. My parents are both from Tonga, the Hapai Islands, from uh, Falelo and Uija. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, lands of the Ute, Goshu. People here in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, I think that's that's me. Been in school too long. <laughs> I have a family, four kids. Yeah, my wife's uh, Samoan, and Palani. Uh, she's a painter. Ma malo noke tino. Chuta, Daniel, and, and Inoke. Um, my name is Tino, and you might hear some kids running around, but, and uh, family is originally from uh, Otovalo and Canary lands in the northwest coast of the Andes, and, and also in Garifuna lands on the coast of Honduras in La Ceiba. And I grew up, I was born and raised in Lenape territory or Brooklyn, New York. And, and I grew, and then I came out to college and met these two wonderful souls, wonderful souls named Daniel Inoke and my masters <laughs> in, in the land of Goshut, Shoshone, and Ute peoples. And I currently live in, in, in Tipanogas Ute land. And I, I'm an educator, practitioner in Utah Valley University. I work in the Center for Social Impact, which... There's some pretty cool things happening and I really like it there. I'm also in my PhD process. I'm hopefully going to be finished within this academic year, but I'm also an aspiring woodworker and welder because that is something I'm hoping to go into next. And yeah, my wife is, is, she's a black woman in tech and I have two boys as well. And we have two boys and their mom is from the Dominican Republic and so there's that, there's that in play with there and that as well. And yeah, I'm just grateful to be here with y'all like always. Oh, thanks, fellas. So I was thinking before we get into why we wanted to discuss kind of these, th- these different regions and how they intersect where we are, uh, maybe we should respond to the terms that identify those places. And th- these are just terms of convenience to get us started, but obviously we can push towards terms that are maybe more appropriate or that that we appreciate more or that might speak more to what we want to get at. But Latin America, Oceania, what do those terms mean to you? And then like, what are your connections to those places as well? So it's a good question. I think for me, when I think of Oceania first, um, it's a place where my ancestors are from, where family is from. You know, I, I feel like I'm I'm the first of within my genealogy that wasn't born and raised within Oceania, but I still have the connections there. You know, it's the people of the Pacific, people of the water, the ocean. And then when I think of Latin America, for me, it's geographically, it's right there. It's near me. You know, it's, I think it's nearer than the different places within the Pacific, uh, within Oceania. 
both locations have numerous peoples within them that are diverse, that have similarities, but are unique through language and culture. Yeah, I think of Latin America as, it's interesting, I think of it as home, but I also don't think of it as home, right? And that's complex because of history and my willingness to just engage it, engage it recently like i mean i'm 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 in my mid 30s and i would say that i've taken those steps to connect with home probably in my late 20s early 30s i actually began to visit honduras like i visited before the pandemic i visited like each year for 3 years you know those student loans had to come in handy somehow so i just um you see save some money up and i visited honduras for a bit and try to connect with family, try to actually speak with my grandmother and learn more. And the one thing that I remember always that she says is, um, you know, like somos gente de, somos pueblos de, de agua, de montañas y, y árboles, de la, de la ceiba. And, and she's referring to this as the ceiba tree. So there's a lot of like, I, I, I try to connect with those things. And in terms of Oceania, I, I see it as, something I've developed in conversation and relationship with because of y'all and others that I've come to meet um, and seeking for a way to connect for making home, but looking outside to look within. And so looking at other like knowledges to just better connect myself, you know? So that's the way I, I see them both. And in, in that one of the things that I recall was uh, Dino had brought something up. I don't know, somewhat recently. We've all been talking about it for a while, but something about like, it's important to document kind of this, this conversation that's happening between regions. And that could include people, um, that could include ideas, um, philosophies, and, and what have you. And for me, right, or, well, for us, sharing kind of a religious background with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as the Mormons, like our regions have been conflated together within some of the ways in which those regions have been thought of from this particular religious perspective and history. I mean, I'm not going to go into too much details of that. Not to, that's a whole other <laughs> set of baggage to, to deal with. But for the sake of brevity, the clumping together of American Indians, North, Central, South, including Caribbean, and then Oceania, and in particular, the Eastern part of Oceania, which we might think of as colonially divided as uh, quote-unquote Polynesia. And through this kind of religious background, these regions have been kind of clumped together, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, one being that the belief that they share an ancestry, which really correlates a lot with kind of the colonial historical ideas of, of the regions as well. Um, and so it can be kind of tricky to talk about these regions because of that background. Like oftentimes I'm, all, I'm a little bit hesitant just because, especially coming from anthropology, then it's always like red flags of, oh, wait a minute, are you going to fit things into your religious paradigm? Um, and most don't understand that I have a very nuanced approach to things. But nonetheless, you know, that background is what put me into connection in relation to peoples of the Pacific. Um, growing up in Utah, for me, uh, that was the communities that I was in contact with in the working class communities of the west side of Salt Lake. Um, had I been raised Catholic, it might have been a very different story. I might have been interacting a lot more with, let's say, the Mexican and El Salvadorian community. So the reason I bring up the religious background is just because that influenced my proximity, my initial engagements. And then I served 
uh, a mission for the church where there was heaps of people from the islands um, coming straight from the islands themselves, being descendants of the ocean, but from the U.S. or Australia or New Zealand. And so that added then these other layers of, uh, of that also. Um, and then when I got back, uh, I was in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. You know, I came into contact with, you know, heaps of people from, again, people who are either based in the islands or descendants of people of ocean peoples um, who were sent to places throughout Latin America. Um, so even to this day, um, whether I'm here in New Zealand or whether I'm doing research in Tonga, um, I often find myself speaking Spanish with Tongans um, because they've, you know, because of that religious background, have spent time in Latin America. And so there is this kind of living connection um, through this particular religious connection. But I also want to unpack kind of maybe the possibilities of critically looking at ancient connections also that have existed um, in these regions that kind of help move through kind of some of the messiness that may, you know, that may exist with the religious stuff. My initial interest in, in seeing in seeking connection was because I was like, oh, I'm being involved with these theories. I'm being I'm starting to learn them, I'm starting to study them. I'm in relationship with these specific communities. And it was an ultimate question I had in mind, like, was was there ever a connection with our communities in the past prior to colonial like colonization, during colonization and even contemporary? Like, what does that look like? And I felt like as I searched for that, there wasn't much that said that shared like hey um that framed like are these two very i would argue vast and immense communities as interaction with each other um maybe except like with um you know talking about this uh the transplant of the sweet potato and then blackbird blackbird slavery you know that those two interactions specifically and also um something else that that doesn't come to mind right now but uh but because i was also working in activist circles like i was an organizer in the community i was doing stuff and i saw like pacific islander folks specifically like whether it be samoan tongan hawaiian and, and so forth involved with the issues in, in utah like rita is probably one of the best examples i have of that of just like constant engagement and yet with that constant engagement she was interacting with Chicano and Chicana and Latinx activists all the time. And in my mind, like that is that is the history I was seeking, but I didn't find it, right? I didn't like, where was this documented? Where, who was talking about it? And, and if you look outside of Utah, when I was talking to like Teresa and other like folks who were like, you know, she's a spoken word poet, someone spoken word poet and others, Washington, Cali and so on, these communities do interact with each other, especially like on organizational fronts, like they organize on labor rights, they organize on immigrant rights and so on, but that's not talked about, it's not documented. And I think that's why I wanted to like look into that and be like, is there some kind of like way to speak about this contemporarily as well as anciently? Because we know something existed anciently and we know something exists contemporarily. So why isn't it being shared? And like, how can we move forward in that kind of dialogue? At least those are some of my initial thoughts, you know?
And I think what Dino was just saying, this last part, to me, it's the processes of colonialism and imperialism <laughs> is the reason why we don't have these forms documented or the ways that peoples had documented these events or knowledge, it wasn't validated. Yeah. And so it's probably the reason, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of other people that could speak on that. But as I think back, you know, the push to globalize everyone under one system to make it easy for colonizers, I think that's ways in which our ancestors began to negotiate, devalue, push away certain practices and culture and protocols um, to just survive under what was happening um, in the world at that time. When I think of the ways that we connect the Senate of Oceania, you, we always talked about this. Of, my parents are from Tonga, but in Tonga, they don't really identify as Tongan. They probably identify primarily on like what village they're from or what family or you know clan did they come from to then when you leave that into maybe another part of Oceania, maybe into New Zealand, then you become known as Tongan. Uh, further away, you go away from the motherland, coming towards the US diaspora, get into the West Coast, you become like a Pacific Islander. You go to the East Coast, they don't even know what that is. You're like another brown person. <laughs> so then you automatically are becoming clumped with other groups of people from around the world. And, you know, when you have less community, you begin to find community elsewhere uh, with other peoples who probably have shared experiences, shared lived experiences. You know, depend, it's not always that case. You know, you don't just look at it geographically. You know, if there's a clump of Tongans in New York, of course, you know, can still identify as Tongans and maybe other people will recognize Tongans because of the concentration of Tongans that are there. But I, I just think of like how you talked about Daniel, I think religion, you know, is another way that we've been able to connect. But yeah, I don't know. And and going back to I did live in Brazil uh, for two years and and that was pretty that was a cool experience. At times I wish I went to a, like a Spanish-speaking place because then I could use Spanish more and I, <laughs> it would come more handy than, than Portuguese. Hardly anybody speaks Portuguese here. They just laugh at me, like, what are you saying, man? <laughs> but uh, Brazil was awesome, man. I, I enjoyed my time there. Beautiful people, was able to easily connect. Um, yeah. Two things I wanted to pick up on, like, one was, uh, you know, Tino, you were mentioning the sweet potato. Kumala or Kumara. And, um, you know, that's one thing that has been pointed out to as kind of having, um, and kind of more specifically, Central South American origins and um, ended up in the Pacific region prior to European colonization. It's also the bottle gourd and, um, and even the other way around, um, Pacific chickens that we've now found, you know, um, down in South America. And then even, uh, you know, genetically, uh, connections with Mapuche in particular and uh, Rapa Nui, which is currently under, or currently also known as La Isla de Pascua or Easter Island under Chilean occupation. And so you do have this part of Oceania that is under kind of the geopolitical realm of Latin America. And so th those are a few things. And then, but, you know, then after colonization, a lot of stuff was spreading around everywhere. I think Inoke's um, 
partner Tali was the one that kind of, she has this painting of pineapples and, you know, kind of brings up the conversation of how pineapples in Hawaii is, is not a necessarily a happy history. <laughs> and it's always interesting for me to think of because it's tied to the occupation and the overthrow there, but it's not actually from there. And then like today, especially in the U.S. context, it even is here. I mean, like even the Domino's pizza here in Aotearoa has like Hawaiian pizza. Anything with pineapple has been like designated symbolically as Hawaiian, yet it wasn't actually in the region. And it was, you know, it was first encountered by Europeans in the Caribbean, you know, and it was cultivated by Maya populations as well. And uh, and so this is a, a, a an example, interesting, you know, a food that is from the, the Americas, but has come to symbolize a different place. And I always think about even Coco Samoa, you know, and I'll buy that because it's the closest to the way that we have chocolate in uh, Ishimuleo, Guatemala. But that came after contact, right? So it's interesting to think about those. Then the blackbirding also, there's a, a book written by Scott Hamilton, uh, about the stolen island of Ata, and he talks about how this entire island is now depopulated, but it was, you know, subject to, you know, uh, deception of local folks. It's, this is in what we would consider the territory of the kingdom of Tonga today. And, uh, you know, deceived, were deceived onto ships and then locked away and, and then sold into slavery through New Zealand to Peru. And so there's all these descendants somewhere in that region that come from Tonga. So uh, this historian, he, while he was doing the research for this book, he emailed me some archives. I'm just going to read them briefly because they're just sh small. But um, he was just like, man, I, I he's the, you're the first Maya that I've met. And so he's like, and I'm doing this research and here you got this stuff. And so one of them is from uh, these archives that come out of, uh, this one's from 1908. And it's uh, listed as recruited natives. White Arapa Age, uh, volume 31, issue 9188 on page 10. And it says, practically sold as slaves, returned home after many years. And it says, Sydney, September 9th, a party of Gilbert Island natives, be known as uh, Kiribas, who 17 years ago, so this would have been the late 1800s, were recruited, quote unquote, and sent to Guatemala, Central America, where they were practically sold as slaves returned by the steamer, I think it's Aurangi, the British government having secured their freedom and pay the cost of the repatriation. The party altogether numbers 59, but only 10 are Gilbert Islanders are from Kiribati. The remainder being their Guatemalan and Indian wives and children. So in reverse, you have these descendants of people who were stolen and sold into Guatemala and then were repatriated over a hundred years ago to Oceania, along with a bunch of Mayas. Uh, I'm assuming they're Maya because that's the dominant group in, in Guatemala, but in a sense, uh, American Indians at the very least. Um, there's another one that talks about, and this one's from 1892, colored labor from the New Zealand Herald. And it says, uh, New York, uh, December 22nd, the steamer Montserrat has been chartered to revisit the Gilbert group to engage natives for the Guatemala government. It is alleged that on their arrival at Guatemala, the natives are virtually slaves. It is reported that the steamer will also recruit, quote unquote, recruit at Samoa and the Caroline Islands. So on that other side, right, there's people from Samoa, Kiribati and the Carolines that ended up in Guatemala specifically. So there's, there is a colonial history that has entangled us also.
just to kind of build on the stuff y'all been saying, I'm curious what what you think as to what are connections that you see as on one, I guess it's about acknowledging that there is a connection. And so how do we recalibrate our relationship? Um, and the other one is just kind of like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, um, I guess when you look at it from a scholarly perspective, you know, these forms of knowledge that stem from these different locations, like testimonial, the idea and process of sharing story from those that have been marginalized, those who don't really get heard, those who who don't get seen, you know, those are opportunities of being able to find ways to express the thoughts and, and ideas of those that are unheard. And I think that's the beauty of Testimonio. And then, you know, looking at Borderlands, Anza is a huge individual and scholar that discusses that. And, you know, for me, the engagement with Chicana, Chicano groups and, and knowledge sparked me to want to know more like of myself what are the theories what are the philosophies that exist within Oceania um, you know for those who are not U.S. based you know that that doesn't come very easily to us here there is no center that exists within the, the U.S. that has this information and so for me it's just been digging on my own and within community and other scholars that have have done this work prior to me and uh Hopefully, as they've laid the foundation, groundwork, scholars like myself and you all and, and others to come will be able to build upon that to give easier access for future scholars to dive into when it comes to oceanic philosophies and, and all that stuff. But Borderlands, coming back to that, you know, for me, as I engaged with that, the main thing for me was that sense of Nepatla, right? The, the in-between, like neither belonging here nor there. There's always this discussion from those here that, and you and I experienced this myself when I was in Tonga, I've grown up as a Tongan, but then I go back to Tonga and they're like, you're not Tongan, you weren't born here. Um, you're from Muli, you're from outside. You're, you're an American, which is interesting because then here in America, I've never been called or told that I'm American. It's always Tongan first. And that idea of, of that being my identity rather than American. And so it's like, I don't even feel like I belong there, nor do I feel like I belong here. So those sense of borders, not necessarily physically, but these other types of borders exist that I've kind of thought through and pondered about. Yeah, I don't know. Those are just some quick thoughts about that. And, you know, I've been able to engage with other stuff, such as Dava from Mahina and David Kaili. Dava's concept that deals with time and space and I, I know you've had other podcasts around this, so I'll, I'll leave your listeners to jump into those episodes if you're wanting to learn more about Dava. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, Dino. Yeah, thanks, Inoke. I, I just I want to build on what Inoke said. Like, I think it was like learning from each other. Like, I remember when I took Inoke's class, the Tongan Diaspora at the University of Utah, and that was in the attempt to like, learn more and the knowledge that was shared was incredible in the sense of like not just parallels but unique differences that i would argue could fill in gaps at times with our understanding like i remember submitting my paper my final paper to inoke and like how you know we talk a lot about like in, in chicano 
Chicana, Chicano, like knowledge bases, we talk about borders and the violence of borders and how like these systems that borders that borders exist in. But oftentimes I, I, I was thinking to myself, like, do borders have to be so violent? Like, can borders be seen as something else? And in that regard, I saw like Pacifica knowledge as a way that we're like, where borders like, yes, borders are a thing, but distance has not been something we're not familiar with as, as a very broad community etching, right? Like communities have oftentimes encountered distance. They've encountered distance set up in different, by different borders, whether they be like, you know, just state borders or other, other things that have, that have come across that may have appeared as borders. And yet people have still remained connected. People can still be grounded to each other. That for me has been like, I would say like the thing that is connected most and in that way has connected myself to feel more whole in that regard. Like, hey, we can we can actually like build, connect with knowledge in other ways to, to do so. And this is just a quick example, like Davater, you know, time and space. And if you want to dive into it, just like Inoke said, you can check out one of Daniel's and Devita Kaili's like podcast showings. This idea of like time and space, uh, we seek to still nurture relationships despite the distance we can, because that is not just space. Like like Va is something very specific and 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 unique in that way, and how we how we mark those times or Ta is can can be like really powerful, right? So even though my my children live far away from me at times, that doesn't that that, that distance doesn't define my relationality with them and so like i think it's board there is a there is a place for borderlands but there is also a place for other like oceania like specific epistemology too to nurture relationality right i think one can present as critique and the other can present as like a new form of praxis you know that we can seek for and so i just feel that i, I just don't see them as different in the sense of like they contradict each other i see them as like uh, a sense of balance like we try to balance these things out and we we move you know forward backward sideways up and down in that regard to understand better not just who we are but who we are in relation to each other that's how i have experienced it for sure is like learning in relation and definitely that idea of filling in gaps i feel is where i think you know we're just talking about latin american oceania but we could take that with any other kind of group or region as well, and I think find productive points of relation to learn um, in collaboration and fill in gaps. Because my view of of kind of looking at the colonial history, I feel like everybody should look at Latin America and the Caribbean because that's kind of where this stuff starts as far as a global enterprise. I'm not saying that there wasn't things prior to that that kind of merged together, but we think about Columbus and the post-Columbus world. There is, you know almost two centuries of work, you know, two and a half centuries of work to kind of refine this new global order and logic that's then used. Um, by the time Captain Cook shows up in, in, the, in the Pacific region, there's already kind of this formula. And so I think understanding that is, is helpful within kind of having a critical edge, like you mentioned, you know, but at the same time, because it arrives later, it means that there's less time of combating it as well, which means that the echoes in some cases can be stronger to kind of these relational values, like you mentioned, Dino. And so for me, I feel like that's been my experience for sure, is I feel like Tongan philosophy has helped me understand even ancient Maya poetry and Mayan politics has helped me understand and make sense of, 
you know, the Pacific region and kind of coloniality in the region um, and vice versa. I mean, it's not just, you know, that, but just, you know, the other way around also. And I think that there is kind of this filling in of gaps that's possible when we think about it as like kind of learning in relation. What's productive and exciting for me of thinking about um, that stuff on one hand, these connections are already there, right? And we think about quote unquote global South, <laughs> you know, these regions have not been clumped together other than our religious background, which is why it's an interesting thing because religiously there's some problematics there as well. But that being said, like it did, you know, at least for me, bring this consciousness of thinking about these regions together in a way that is usually not the case, right? Pacific Island in the context of the US is usually clumped under Asia and Latin America is often homogenized very problematically as well, um, ignoring kind of the dynamics of race and uh, indigeneity. Uh, and so like they've often been kept separate but then when we bring them in conversation together, there is this kind of, you know, realization that, oh, they're, they've been entangled together for actually a long time, both through colonial pathways, but also anciently. And how do we kind of reimagine that in the present when they're not really being brought together oftentimes? Any last minute um, thoughts or responses to where we're at now, where we were at in the past, where, where we can be as we move forward and thinking, again, just with these two regions, not that these are the only ways to think about it, but for the sake of this Pratica, this Talanoa. I think for me, just one thing that I think about a lot is continuing on this idea of relationality and being able to build upon that. You know, I think too many times we are so focused within the dynamics of within our own specific realm that we don't acknowledge those around us. You know, we forget to acknowledge or build the relations that exist around us. And I think maybe here in the U.S. it's a little bit easier when you come from a smaller group of, of people, you're already not visibly seen. And so there's already, maybe it makes it a little bit easier to collaborate with others um, and other groups because to be heard or be seen, there has to be a larger collective. And so I think it just comes easier when, when you're within a group that's already a minority within the minority or within the margins of the margins. It's easier to make those connections and relate to one another. But it's important, I think, because when you're in a place like the U.S. diaspora from Oceania, we have to engage. It's already automatic where if you're going through school, you're engaging with the histories of other people that doesn't exist within Oceania. Uh, probably the closest thing that we'll be able to get is anything that deals with Hawaii or with Guam or any of the territories, America's Samoa, but those are even not even discussed or talked about. And the only way that, the only reasons why they're talked about within the US is primarily because of war. And so there isn't any other depth that goes into that type of discussion. But by learning for myself, by, you know, I don't know when I just, we've talked about this before, Daniel, even just with music and we're, we're vibing with Bob Marley, with Lucky Dubé, and Tupac and all these other individuals. We don't get much of the, now it's a little bit different, but I guess growing up, you know, now it's easier to get music from different parts of the world, but 
at the time, you know, those are the individuals and, and, and artists that we were brought up with. And so it's not like I can't say that they weren't, they didn't have an influence on myself and my generation. You know, that's important to acknowledge and think about and remember, but also just build upon it. It's not saying that like, oh, we have to shun them or, or push them aside, but also just giving them their flowers and then adding on to that uh, through kind of the relational aspects that we've all been talking about. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Nokia. I think those are powerful words. I think ultimately, like, I don't know what else I can add to that. You know, it was like, that was just like a mic drop moment. And I, <laughs> I have to, I like it, you know? <laughs> so, but uh, one thing I, I, I'm like, I'm recalling a certain experience I had. And, I, and that was when I literally was on the phone with Rita and, and Lala at one point. And we were talking about like some policy and we're like, oh, how do we build like, 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 like a collaboration around this? How do we work together, bring communities together. And I remember them saying like, oh, that the, the Chicanos and Chicanas, the Latinos have, have been doing this for a minute. And so we like definitely want to see, like learn from y'all. And then I, and then I kind of like turned, I was like, yeah, like they've been, I would argue they've been doing it for a minute, but that connectivity that y'all have as a community as well, that's something we're beginning to learn as, you know, ourselves. And so like, there was like this reciprocal process where like, I think, we as communities have the chance to learn from each other and grow together and combat things together. You know what I mean? And rekindle like, you know, you know, relationality both from the past, once we have language for it and then to articulate something new in the future. And I think those are the lessons we, we seek for. We, the relational lessons that basically create praxis for the future, right? New praxis for the future. And so, I think, and I think that's important because as you seek to carve space in, in this timeline of, of history, you can't just do it by yourself and you have to do it in, in relationship with other peoples that are facing similar things. And that won't be very like smooth process. That's going to be messy. It's going to be tension filled at times. There's language differences, of course, but, um, but it's possible. And, and, and anything that's possible is is beautiful you know and so i really i think i'm just gonna yeah i think i'm just gonna close out with that i think there's room for for both to learn from each other and especially with what pacifica communities have been doing to like just create space in, within diaspora i think we are in a similar position as those who are children of migrants from latin america the latin american diaspora so there's a connection there as we seek to carve space within diaspora, we seek for home, but we can also find home with each other too, or find home, find home together, I guess is what I'm saying. So, and that's my thought. Oh, thanks, Dino. Awesome stuff, fellas. No, I, I, it just, you know, reminds me of, I'm glad that we just have a chance to even at least document it audially because um, for so many years, you know, we've, we've been doing it, you know, we've been collaborating, we've been um, in relation, and so it's it's nice to just begin to set a you know put a record out there for something that's been going on for for ages. Um, and I think of as well like one of the things that I I have found you know working in the Moana um, in Oceania is I found refuge as well you know like in the relation. Um, and I hope that I've been able to to offer that also um, in return. But we'll we'll end it with that. Um, thanks, fellas. Really appreciate you sharing and 
taking some time out of your day to share some knowledge. And hopefully this will be uh, one of many um, in the future, whether a podcast episode or not, <laughs> of ongoing kind of uh, conversations around this.